Welcome to the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. It's Indiana. Watford for the win! Yes! Yes! Your daily home for complete coverage of the Indiana Hoosiers and sports from a Southern Indiana perspective. Welcome to Indiana basketball. Smart takes the shot, and the Hoosiers with three seconds. Go ahead. Indiana wins the championship. Keith Smart is the hero. When my time on earth is gone and my activities here are past, I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my Now here's your host, Matt Dennison. It's Indiana, what I feel is the pinnacle, the absolute pinnacle of all of college basketball. And hello, welcome in, Monday edition of the program. I tell you what, last week I said it was all beginning, March Madness, lots of fun. Uh, it takes a big step up this week. We've got Big Ten tournament action coming up a little bit later in the week. And really, if you map out your week, there's great basketball just about every day, even the mid-major conferences. Some of those guys are in the later stages of their uh, conference tournaments. And of course, all the high-major tournaments get underway later this week. And Coming out of the weekend, we've got a good number of local teams still left. Borden won the 1A sectional. Big upset on Friday night over Rock Creek. Uh, Huge win for Borden at home. Understand just a great environment there over the weekend. And Borden uh, then in a great championship game on Saturday beats Christian Academy. So Doc Nash and his Braves. I didn't realize that their first sectional championship since their state championship. And so they move on to Lagodi for the regional coming up this weekend. Also, in 2A, no real surprise that Providence won the championship. I think the surprise over at Southwestern was the way that Providence dominated Southwestern in the championship game. And I know uh, the Pioneers, they've got a tough one against Linton Stockton uh, over in Huntingburg to begin regional play, but I really think they can do it. I think Ryan Miller's ball club can can win that tough one and get to the championship. And if they get there, they're going to head to semi-state. And uh, then in uh, 3A, uh, North Harrison for the first time since 96 with Silver Creek out of the picture, a sectional champ, Lou LaFay, former Providence coach, one of the one of the good coaches. Uh, he, happy for him to see him get a sectional crown. And then in 4A, Floyd Central, uh, second sectional championship in three years. Before that, it had been a long time going all the way back to Pat Graham since the Highlanders won a sectional title. And if you remember a couple years ago, uh, Floyd Central never got to play in the regional. They had a really good team, uh, were set to play uh, Bloomington South, should have been a great game. I think Floyd Central had a real chance that year to make some noise. And so we'll see now this year if it's not the Highlanders' year uh, to make some noise here in the postseason. They've got uh, a very winnable game against Franklin coming up on Saturday to begin tournament play and then a very likely rematch with Bloomington North on Saturday night in Seymour, which should be a lot of fun with a semi-state trip on the line. So let's take a look at the show lineup for this Monday, March 7 edition of the program, Segment 1, coming up here in moments. Todd Sturgeon, the head coach of Floyd Central, will join us a little bit later in the hour. We'll also be joined by Zach Osterman of the Indy Star, and then we'll wrap things up today with Chad Gilbert. He's the AD at Charlestown, the former 
former coach in the area, IHSA executive board member. He'll be with us as we take a look at things locally here over the weekend, the sectionals, the regionals, and much more with Chad when he's with us later today. That's the show lineup, a service of Honey Baked Ham in New Albany. Don't forget to check out their dinner package deals, which are being offered. You can dine in, take them to go, and curbside service still available as well at Honey Baked Ham in New Albany. And our first guest with us now, Todd Sturgeon, head coach of the Highlanders. We were just mentioning uh, the great sectional week for Floyd Central in the open of our show today. And Coach Sturgeon, congratulations. You guys had some real challenges last week, but my goodness, in the sectional final against Jeffersonville, your team caught fire and I think played some of its best basketball of the season. Well, I think you're 100% accurate. Uh, we just, uh, I think we maybe were a little tight offensively. Uh, you know, when you set your goals high and uh, you come into those situations, it's not unusual, and, uh, you know, and especially early on uh, to, uh, to be a little tense. And the coach probably didn't do a good enough job uh, loosening us up a little bit. But uh, uh, as the, as the uh, tournament wore on, I thought we started to relax a little bit on offense and maybe the, fatigue of the three games was just enough to take the edge off whatever it was we were on fire in the, in the final game yeah absolutely coach Sturgeon this is year number eight for you as the head coach at Floyd Central and you know even early on you were making steady progress with the program changing the direction the number of wins each season and for a program that is such a big school and has such a strong basketball history going back to Pat Graham and some of the great teams in the 80s and even 90s, this was a school that had Don't not... forget those guys in the 70s now, those a- super hit ab- guys. Ab- that, they uh, got we, it all started. We've been, we've been uh, wearing those, uh, a tribute to those guys on our warm-ups. Those yellow warm-ups that we're wearing are a tribute to those guys. Uh, so i gotta, I got to put a plug in for those guys, too. But go a- ahead. I'm absolutely. Sorry. But you've had consistent progress. And for a program that's got the tradition, as you mentioned, going all the way back to the super hicks... Um, to win two sectionals in three years after such a break with no sectional championships, can you talk about what that means to you and maybe greater to not just this year's team but the Floyd Central community you guys represent? Well, uh, as a coach, what I'm thinking is we should have three more. <laughs> if the coach would have figured out a way to get a couple more buckets or not have us set up in the right way, uh, we feel like there were three others out there that we didn't get, but that's just part of the process. I mostly feel guilty to those former players that we weren't able to get them across the finish line as they are sending texts of congratulations and so forth. So uh, a lot of guys put in a lot of work to build the program and not all of them got to cut down the nets. And, and uh, uh, but there's been a, you know, and a, and a lot of people uh, from Brett Eads and our uh feeder system you know these guys that have won these championships he coached them all the way through middle school and uh our freshman coaches and uh you know it, when you come to a game here uh, jeff square has done a phenomenal job uh putting on uh, the events here and our band and cheerleaders and the dance team the dazzlers and all that uh, there's just a lot of people and and uh wayne Timms with our mini league you know uh, it's it's just uh, a, a collective effort, and a lot of that was in place before I got here, and uh, and so uh, we've benefited from a lot of that. Coach Sturgeon, as I go through 
my mental notes here. We broadcasted all three of your games this past week. You know, I wanted to pick out a couple of players to highlight, but I'm struggling with that because you had so many different guys in different situations and different games step up for the Highlanders this week. This collectively, this really truly is a, a team collective effort. Uh, I think this Floyd Central group, there there are some players that may have a little bit more talent than others, but when it comes down to it, you don't exactly know, maybe even as the coach, who's going to step up in a given situation because you have so many guys that are capable of, capable of doing so. Yeah, and and it uh, it really it's it's been enjoyable uh, as the season's gone along and how much guys have have bought into, hey, we're just going to move the ball and let the ball find the right guy, and uh, and in some games it's been you know throwing it inside in the post, other games it's it's been shooting on the perimeter. I think we we've had eight different leading scores over the course of the season, and and by the way that might even be like. Seven of those guys might have even been the leading scorer in at least two games. And uh, so we've been fortunate. Our bench, every game it seems like, is scoring over 20 points off the bench. Uh, I think we've been as high as 36 points off the bench in an individual game. And so uh, we really have had a lot of different contributors. Uh, you know, as you approach the end of the season, you start thinking about things like postseason awards and that sort of thing and like, I don't know what we're going to do with MVP. That might we may have eight guys' names on the on the MVP trophy. It's uh, <laughs> it, it really truly has been a collective effort uh, this year for sure. And you know, you look at these games. Game one, Max, when we were struggling, Max Trippier knocked in some shots and loosened us up and gave us a chance. And then uh, uh, Brady took over and scored buckets to uh, get us the lead in uh, the second overtime and Caleb salted it away with some free throws down the stretch. And then you just keep going on. Wesley was a dominant force around the rim throughout the tournament. Uh, Kyle Poach is a guy that gets overlooked uh, repeatedly for how he runs the team and his, you know, we keep track of plus minus and things like that. And he and Brady have been at the top. Uh, through, throughout the year. And then, then Cole Herod, who's been a guy that got sick late in the year and kind of, you know, had, had trouble getting his rhythm back and he lit it up and played terrific in the championship game. So just as you pointed out, you know, you can just go right through the list of guys who, who, who were outstanding. And then uh, uh, Nathaniel Hoffman and Tevi came in and gave us big plays and, and made shots. And, and uh, I think Tevi had a seven, seven assist in the, off the bench in the championship game. And so just, uh, just an outstanding group effort. Yeah, absolutely. Talking with Todd Sturgeon, his Floyd Central Club won the 4-8 sectional championship at Seymour on Saturday night. Coach, you go back to Seymour next Saturday, which I know is always a welcome uh, deal in the postseason, and you'll take on Franklin. I'm sure you're already hard at work learning about the Grizzly Cubs. Uh, they really were a big upset coming through the sectional uh, up their way. They have an 11-win record 11 and 14 on the season but based on what they were able to accomplish last week it's a team playing their best basketball at exactly the right time of the year as well yeah i mean i sent a text to our team yesterday and i said hey a lot of people after that you know we played so well in that championship game now a lot of people are getting you know talking way ahead and we can't that you know that's a fool's trap because if you look at franklin's record you're not going to be impressed but if you look at their last five games, the teams they've beaten, they've beaten Columbus North, a terrific 
team that's won 17 or 18 games. They beat Jennings County. Well, we had to go overtime twice to beat Jennings County. And they they uh, also beat, uh, obviously, Center Grove uh, there in the championship game of the tournament. And Center Grove and us, you could flip a coin if our two teams played each other. So uh, if that doesn't get our attention, then uh, – then we'll be in for a, a, a difficult task on Saturday. Yeah, most definitely. Coach Sturgeon, two other things. Uh, you mentioned the Super Hicks and your your tribute to that team, the uh, yellow warm-up tops. I'm curious, how did that connection come this year? Was it because of the reunion those guys had earlier in the season uh, at a Floyd Central home game, or was there some other way that got connected to this year? Yeah, it was around that re- that reunion uh, you know, last year with COVID and everything, we weren't able to do that on the 50th anniversary for those guys. And, uh, well, you want to talk about some statistics, look through their statistics sometime. The amount of points that they scored and, and, uh, the, obviously the legendary comeback in the, uh, uh, against Seymour there in the, in the, in the regional as, and as a guy from Brownstown who's just, you know, always been kind of the, the little brother to, uh, to Seymour for so many years. Uh, those guys are, are legends in Brownstown for beating Seymour when Seymour was ranked number one in the state. So, uh, so they have a special heart. And then we had, yes, we had the anniversary, uh, and, and brought those guys back in to celebrate them. And there were t-shirts made for them. And we just decided to keep wearing those as our warmups throughout the course of the year and see if we could, uh, summon some, some of their mojo. A very fitting tribute for sure. Coach, final thing for you. Uh, I said this at the end of the broadcast on Saturday night, and I hope it was appropriate, but uh, I know that this was uh, obviously a special sectional, a special season. Anytime your your club comes uh, out on top, it's a big deal here in our state. But for you, this has maybe been a great year as far as the season goes, but a tough year personally. You lost your father right uh, during the holidays, and I know that there was a connection with your family and him on Saturday night as you cut down the nets at Seymour. And so I wanted to give you a minute, just you know, maybe a tribute or a little tie-in in there because I thought it was very special. I was thinking of you when the buzzer went off a Saturday night. Well, I appreciate that. Those are uh, kind words. And yeah, it was, uh, uh, you know, I had just, uh, my dad was, a. I think I like a lot of Indiana fathers and sons. A lot of your uh, uh, closest memories are around basketball. And, and uh, so he was a big fan uh, of basketball in general, but obviously had followed our team the last several years. And, uh, uh, he, he, you know, he was a lifelong farmer and always had a pocket knife with him. And, and, uh, so I just called my, or sent my mom a text on Saturday morning and I said, bring it, bring dad's pocket knife in case we need to cut anything down. <laughs> so, uh, so we used his, and I told the team, I said, I always like to let the players go first cutting down the nets, but this is one time I'm going to do it. So I went first and took the first hunk of the net off with with my dad's pocket knife as a little tribute. Absolutely. Much deserved and uh, great for you, Coach. Happy for you, happy for the Highlanders. Todd Sturgeon, Floyd Central with us here to open our Monday program. Coach, it's it's a great month in our state uh, to be a basketball fan, to be a lover of hoops like I know both of you are, and I'm sure it's even better when your team is still playing into the second weekend of the state tournament. So congratulations, and uh, we'll see you back and see more on Saturday. All right. Thanks a lot, Matt. I appreciate it.
All right, Todd Sturgeon, my guest, and great story there. This team has really come together, and they have been challenged. And, uh, yes, they've got a tough matchup with Franklin and possibly Bloomington North in the championship game, but uh, I would not bet against this Floyd Central team right now. They are playing some great basketball, and once again, Todd Sturgeon has done an outstanding job with his ball club. There's no question about that. I've got to know Coach Sturgeon, really like Coach Sturgeon, consider him a friend away from the radio and basketball. And uh, for him Saturday night and his family to have a chance to to cut that net down uh, based on just what he's been through with, with his father, I thought was very neat. So I wanted to mention that today. We'll head to a commercial break. We'll come back and lots of IU basketball to talk about. Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star joins uh, you know, IU-Purdue, we'll get into that. Uh, IU really with a great effort for most all of that ball game. They just could not close it out at a very tough environment at Mackey Arena. We'll talk about the Big Ten tournament. Those brackets are now set. And just so much to get into. This is the time of year where you'd like to have a three-hour show every day instead of an hour. There's so many different topics around basketball we can cover right now. But we'll head to a break. We're back with Zach. Lots of IU talk the rest of the way. This is the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. We're back on the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. Join Matt Daly at 11 a.m. for complete coverage of the Indiana Hoosiers and sports from a Southern Indiana perspective. I'll handle this the way I want to handle it now that I'm here. You f***ed it up to begin with. Now just sit there or leave. I don't give a what you do. Now, back to the game. Here's Matt Dennison. Back here on this Monday program, Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star, my guest to join as we talk uh, IU basketball and more on the week of the Big Ten Tournament, a great week of basketball ahead. And Zach, we've got IU-Purdue to recap. We've got Big Ten Tournament coming up, IU against Michigan in the first game there for the Hoosiers. But I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention what a wild and wacky day it was yesterday for the Big Ten Conference, uh, Illinois beat a good Iowa team, but that came after Wisconsin got stunned on their home floor by Nebraska, uh, and then the Illinois win over Iowa allows the Fighting Illini to claim a share of Wisconsin's Big Ten championship this season. If that's not enough action for you there yesterday, Johnny Davis, it appears, has some sort of uh, lower leg, lower body injury, I think is what it's being termed uh, by Wisconsin, and we know what type of season he's had in the Big Ten this year. So just a wild finish to the regular season yesterday. Well, you know, a bit of a reprieve for the conference office, I think, too, possibly, uh, in terms of not having to manage a Michigan-Wisconsin potential rematch if, if Michigan, you know, under if Wisconsin had kind of held serve at home yesterday, um, then they would have had the one seed, and Michigan being in the 8-9 game, if they beat Indiana, then you're looking at, Greg Gard against Juwan Howard, maybe maybe just a little earlier than you know the, than anybody feels like they need to see that. Uh, maybe not. Maybe I'm maybe I'm being harsh, but um, one way or another, I mean, it was you know it it, it looked like Wisconsin just kind of had everything sewn up as the one seed, and you know it's been a, a, a great year in Madison. I mean, you know, sort of full disclosure, I, I put my all Big Ten votes in over the weekend, and, and my player of the year was Johnny Davis. My coach of the year was Greg Gard. Um, I think it's hard to argue against either of those given 
what we expected of Wisconsin versus what they became. But, um, the, you know, there's still, I, I imagine there's at least a little bit of sting, particularly if, if Davis's injury is, is long-term at all. And you don't, you know, you, you never want to see that. You don't want to see guys getting hurt um, at this time of year, at any time of year, but certainly this time of year. Uh, it's just, you know, you want to see the best players on the floor. So hopefully Davis can get back quickly. All right, Zach, uh, let's go back to Saturday afternoon, the IU-Purdue game. Mixed emotions, mixed opinions there. I know some say, well, what a fitting end to IU season as they just don't have the effort at the end of the game to finish it off with a victory. On the other hand, for an IU team that's been sliding here the last few weeks or month maybe, uh, to be that close in a tough environment at Mackey Arena – I think shows this IU team on any given day is capable of playing with and or beating anyone in the conference, and that would include some other really good college basketball teams if they could get into the tournament and compete with others. So what's your takeaway from the Purdue game? Was it a? I guess there's never a good loss this time of year, but is there such thing uh, as a good loss with how IU played and competed and kept it close and uh, yeah. multiple times rallied from deficits? Maybe. I mean, I, I think that's, that's only true if, if, you know, if Indiana goes to Indianapolis and, and does what it needs to do. And I think that that, you know, that job got a lot harder from a matchups perspective um, on Sunday by solidifying Michigan in as the eighth seed and putting Illinois in front of Indiana instead of Wisconsin. Um, Indiana would have been a, a you know, uh, an underdog and, either game, you know, Illinois or Wisconsin, but I think Indiana still matches up better against Wisconsin, obviously, particularly if Davis, if Johnny Davis is limited, whereas I think Indiana really, the, the, the Illinois matchup is not one I would feel good about if I were an IU fan, just I think that Illinois has too much that IU struggles to deal with. Um, you know, the, the other thing I would say, too, is if we're talking matchups, I also think some of it is that Indiana quietly matches up well to Purdue. I think they can hurt Purdue in, you know, excuse me, in ball screen situations and not necessarily negate a player like Zach Eady, but certainly lessen his impact um, or counter some of what he can do at the offensive end by really putting him in some disadvantageous positions on the defensive end. And then that pivots Purdue back to Trevion Williams, who I think Indiana can can handle a little bit more directly, and, and who quietly I don't think he's been bad this year, but I'm not sure he's been up to the standard, you know, consistently that he set for himself a season ago when you could have argued he was a dark horse, you know, first team All Big Ten, even maybe Big Ten Player of the Year candidate. So I think some of it's also just just matchups and and you know the way Indiana can match up with Purdue, some of the things Indiana can do to Purdue that I don't think, for example it's going to be able to do to Michigan. Um, so, you know, on the one hand, I think Indiana does deserve credit for its competitiveness, for its, its spirit, you know, maybe not just in that game, but in general, you know, we would have said we thought Indiana was out um, in the Iowa or the, the Ohio state game as well. You know, we would have taught you, you could have talked about sort of Indiana's upping its competitive level when they did what they did against Purdue the first time, largely without Trace Jackson Davis. Um, but in the same breath, without wanting to sound, you know, just sort of, you know, uniformly negative, I think that there's also an element of they've consistently lost those games where they've been competitive, mostly. And um, at the end of the season, they have nine Big Ten wins, and seven of those nine are against the bottom five teams in the conference. So, 
you know, at, at some level, it sort of feels like they're basically the bridge between the teams that are just bad in the Big Ten and the teams that are, are genuinely, you know, in some way good. Indiana is, is this weird, you know, sort of gap between the two of them. And, you know, if they can turn that around enough in Indianapolis, they might even just need one win. I mean, they, you know, it, it might be that they just need to beat Michigan. But, um, you know, given everything I've seen from them this year, it's, it's hard for me to look at them in, in good faith and say that they're going to do it. All right, talking with Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star, I, I know we could spend a lot more time on things that happened in the Purdue game, but I want to jump ahead to the Big Ten tournament. IU will rematch with Michigan, uh, a team that the Hoosiers have not had any success success with uh, this season. It's not an easy path for IU because if they could muster a win, which, as you mentioned, is very much needed, at least one, maybe two, for NCAA tournament purposes – Illinois would be who is waiting for them getting the bye. And of any other situation in the bracket, uh, I think, you know, Wisconsin and other – you mentioned Purdue already and other teams that are at the top of the Big Ten or were near the top of the Big Ten this season. I think IU matches up so much better with them and is able to play so much closer to them. We've seen proof of it this year. I'm not sure about Illinois with Kofi Coburn in that matchup, but let's start with Michigan. Your your thoughts there on a, a rematch for the third time this season, a game, a series that IU did not win in the a game in in the regular season. Well, it's actually just the second time they only oh, played Michigan at correct. home. Yep, correct. This year, um, and obviously that was, you know, maybe pound for pound, Indiana's worst game of the season. Frankly, I mean, it's the only one I think all year where you would feel like. Indiana just truly got blown out. Now, you know, that Michigan game was poorly timed. It was a Sunday afternoon after the late Thursday night against Purdue. Um, you know, it was, I think, going to be near impossible for Indiana to avoid the emotional letdown after that game. That was also Indiana's third game in seven days. Um, they had, they had, uh, they'd started with Nebraska on the Monday, then played Purdue on the Thursday, and then had Michigan at home. But, I mean, Michigan started the game on a 21-9 to run, and Indiana looked for maybe a moment like they were going to pull it back a little bit. Um, but you go back to that game, I mean, Michigan averaged 1.21 points per possession. They hit 11 threes in 17 tries, which is a, just, a, you know, just a huge number. They out-rebounded Indiana 36-26. to um, Indiana even forced 14 turnovers in that game and still – it was never, you know, it was never really, really a uh, a game. If you look at um, Ken Pomeroy, Michigan's minimum win probability in the game was 27.3%, and that was when they trailed two to nothing when Indiana made the first basket of the game. It, it just was never, it was never a competitive game at all. Um, there were some good individual performances within it. You know, I think that was probably one of Xavier Johnson's first you know, not the, not the only one, but, you know, he had, you know, three or four performances kind of around the Big Ten restart and in January that I think really started to kind of solidify his importance for this team. And that Michigan game was one. He had 14 points, six rebounds, six assists, and only two turnovers. Um, but by and large, I mean, that was, you know, Indiana lost some other games by double digits this season, but that was the only one that really – felt like a blowout front to back. And I think it's, I think it's a bad matchup. Like you, you said, you know, Michigan's got big athletic wings. Um, 
and that creates real problems for Indiana because they don't have, you know, Indiana does not have bodies that can match up with Caleb Houston, Musa Diabate, and Hunter Dickinson all, you know, consistently. And then you've got Terrence Williams and Brandon Johns coming off the bench. And Indiana just doesn't have those pieces. You know, Indiana doesn't have guys that can go that big and defend athletically very well, you know, I think consistently. Now, again, some of that game was probably fatigue, both physical and emotional, and that shouldn't be a problem here if you're Indiana. And, you know, maybe at some level the opposite is true, that essentially Indiana's kind of job here is crystallized. You need wins. You just you, you need to win as many as you can before they kick you out of the building. Um, and if they can, again, if they can get one against another team that's right there on the bubble in Michigan on Thursday, maybe that puts them over the hump. Maybe that gets them in. But it, it is a very it is probably I mean for me it is probably the worst matchup they could have drawn in this eight nine. There was a time when it was kind of like, will it be Rutgers? Will it be Michigan State? I think even Iowa was still in that mix with a couple weeks to go. Indiana's kind of been locked into the nine, eight or nine for a while now, um, roughly speaking. This was the worst of the matchups they could draw, and it's going to take a lot for them to win this game. I think it's also interesting, Zach, that uh, both the Hoosiers and the Michigan Wolverines are very much in a similar situation when it comes to their NCAA tournament hopes. Both, both of them desperately need this win coming up later this week. Yeah, and I mean, Indiana's been in that position, obviously, recently with Rutgers, and you know, couldn't kind of finish that job. And that was at home on senior day. And I'm not, you know, when I say all this, I know I sound generally negative and I think probably a lot of people accuse me of being too positive too often. So I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just trying to overcompensate, but I think um, it's just, I've always been a believer of kind of once you reach this point in the season, you are what you are. And I think Indiana really does deserve credit for its competitiveness this year. Um, you know, the last, you know, I think it's been forgotten pretty easily in the frustrations of this season, how often in the last three seasons, really even the last four seasons, Indiana just got absolutely destroyed, absolutely just waxed in conference play at home and on the road, you know, and, and not just not just last season when things were spiraling out of control and there were no fans in the building. But, you know, I'm thinking about ugly trips to Rutgers. I'm thinking about no-show performances at Ohio State and Michigan and Purdue for that matter. And really for Indiana to have gone through this whole season with what is still clearly a, a, a limited roster, too many guys that I think aren't multidimensional enough at either end of the floor, um, to have gone through this season and really been competitive in basically every game you've been in, save one in the conference. Um, and to have done that, you know, that, that one to have been in, you know, pretty sort of, there were a lot of exigent circumstances attached to that Michigan performance, as I said. I think Indiana deserves credit for that. I think that could augur well for Indiana's future. Um, if, 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 you know, that sort of competitiveness and toughness and fight can be married to a more versatile, more talented roster going forward. But, you know, right here today, it's just without somebody just absolutely playing out of their skin, which is always possible. You know, particularly in tournament play, particularly when you get into that environment, sometimes that just flips the switch in a guy. Um, it, it is hard for me to see Indiana winning this matchup, uh, and especially if, as you said, Michigan is playing with a similar level of desperation. Because this is also a Michigan team that's got experience 
winning in these situations. There's guys on this Michigan roster that have won in the NCAA tournament. There's guys on this Michigan roster that know what it feels like to, you know, to sort of face a crucial game and win it. Um, we've talked so much about Indiana learning how to win this year. They haven't done enough of that, and they don't have enough of that on their roster, and I think that's an issue. All right, uh, Zach, I want to ask you about the NCAA tournament prognosis for this team. I know you mentioned may need to win one in Indianapolis at the Big Ten tournament, possibly two. Uh, I think I even saw after the Purdue game that Joe Lenardi uh, still had the Hoosiers in the field for the tournament, and I know that that's just his opinion, but I believe there maybe were some other bracketologists that still had IU and maybe as even the last team in uh, after the loss to Purdue. Can you break it down for us a little bit further, what you expect is needed this week for IU and why as they try to get to the the NCAA? Yeah, so – I think Lenardi actually had Indiana this morning as the first team out. Oh, so okay. that's where, you know, I mean, he, he sees them, he sees them basically right there, which, you know, in a vacuum, you could say beat Michigan and you're in. Um, the flip side is also obviously, well, what happens elsewhere? How many bids get stolen, you know, by, by conference, uh, mid and low major conference tournaments, but somebody else jumps up, if you will. Um, you know, it, it, if you look at bracket matrix, which is updated kind of a day late, so this is from yesterday, this is from Sunday, um, out of 123 brackets, Indiana only appeared in 25. They were, if I'm reading this right, and I think I am, they were effectively the third team out of the field on average. Um, and they were the, the <laughs> we do this a lot with the, with the top 25, don't we? They were the, if you're looking at teams not in the field, they appeared in the third most brackets of teams not in the field. So, you know, and I wrote this after the Purdue game, again, as somebody who's probably sounded pretty negative here in the last like 15 minutes we've been talking. If they play the way they played at Purdue, you know, the, the, the scrappiness, the toughness, the way they defended, as sharp as they were offensively, you know, their, their, their ball screen offense was fantastic. Their pick and roll offense was superb on, uh, on Saturday. If they play with that that combination of toughness and execution, they have a chance. They genuinely have, still hold their own, their, you know, their NCAA tournament fate in their own hands. But the flip side is, you know, Michigan did get a couple of. I mean, Hunter Dickinson's been really good this season, but I think he hit three or four threes in that game. You know, he's probably probably not going to do that. You know, on Thursday, you know, you, you got Terrence Williams playing really well in that game where he hadn't been for a while. Um, you know, the, the, there were some, I guess, some slightly anomalous performances um, from Michigan's perspective in, in that first game when they played Indiana earlier this season. The flip side is you are talking about a Michigan team that's won two of its last three. They beat Michigan State. They beat Ohio State. Um, you know, they, they were actually, yeah, was, I mean, it was a good game, I thought, against uh, against uh, Iowa. Um They've got better recent wins. They've also beaten Rutgers recently. They had, they beat Iowa back on February 17th. So, like, they've got better recent wins. They've probably got a little bit more momentum. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily just as binary as beat Michigan and you jump into the field and they fall out of it. I think if Indiana wants to – I think if Indiana wants to assure itself of a place in the field, it's got to win two. Now, if it wins one – because to your point about Joe Lenardi, I mean, he's not the only bracketologist that I think has Indiana, like, right there. I think Delphi Bracketology, the, the bracketology that Brian Tonsoni puts together with his, his students um, up in Delphi, Indiana. Um, I want to say they had Indiana as one of the first four out as well. 
And I think Indiana, when you look at the one or two NIT projections out there, Indiana's a one seed. So, you know, the, those projections are also seeing Indiana as one of the first four teams out of the field because the first four out are automatically the NIT one seed. Um, it, you know, this, they are very much right there. And it is possible that if there aren't a ton of bid steals, if some other bubble teams lose, that, you know, just beating Michigan on the Thursday gets them in. And I think they can do that. It is, with the matchups, hard for me to see it. But, you know, I am also reminded of, of the way they played at Purdue on Saturday and, and just the, the toughness and fight they showed there. If they bring that to Indianapolis, maybe get a couple guys to just knock down a couple more shots than they usually do, which, again, is not at, entirely out of hand. They could win Thursday, and that might be enough to put them in uh, because they're right there, I think. But I don't think that – I don't think they can – I certainly don't think they can afford to lose Thursday and get in. I think if they lose Thursday, they're in the NIT, and it's just a matter of when and where. If they win Thursday, I think they look at Friday as kind of pushing all your chips to the middle and saying, you win Friday, you're in. There's no question at all. Um, but that's obviously a tall task for Indiana. All right, Zach Osterman, the Indianapolis star. He's with us Mondays to help us start the week from an IU perspective. Zach, thanks for covering a lot of ground with us. We'll talk with you again next week. Thanks so much for having me, as always. All right, Zach Osterman with us today as we head to a commercial break. A couple other notes. Uh, Obviously, you probably saw this. The IU women made it to the Big Ten Women's Championship before falling to Iowa. Good week overall for the IU women who got back on track after a really tough close to the season. They were a five-seed in the Big Ten tournament, made it to the championship game, trying to complete that four games in four days gauntlet and just couldn't get it done against a very good Iowa women's team as well. Also, I saw a note as we talk about postseason basketball here in the state of Indiana, Centerville, Ohio, with uh, Gabe Cups, a future Hoosier. Uh, they defeated Lakota West 80-56 in the district championship over the weekend. So actually yesterday, so they will move on in the uh, Cincinnati area as far as the Ohio State Tournament goes in their respective class. I think defending champions is Centerville uh, in their uh, their classification. We'll head to a break. We're back to talk some high school hoops and local basketball with Chad Gilbert. Stay with us. This is the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. We're back on the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. Let's win this and for all the small schools who never had a chance to get here. Join Matt Daly at 11 a.m. for complete coverage of the Indiana Hoosiers and sports from a Southern Indiana perspective. Let's win for Coach, who got us here. Here's Matt Dennison. And we're back here on this Monday program. Chad Gilbert is my guest. He's the AD at Charlestown High School, former basketball coach in the area, and also currently on the IHSAA executive board. Chad, great weekend of hoops. We've got lots of local teams moving on. Had Coach Sturgeon of Floyd Central with us a little earlier in the hour, so I thought I would start with you. How about the Pioneers making uh, a trip back to the regional, not just with a narrow win over Southwestern on their home court, but Providence really handled uh, the Rebels on Saturday night, which I think was surprising to many. Well, Matt, I think you and I hit the nail on the head when we did our sectional preview show. Anytime you're dealing with the 
a Coach Miller coach team. You know how Ryan Miller does it over there. He's there is no stone unturned. If you don't think that he doesn't know Linton Stockton, I mean, he's going to know what uh, kind of shoes Joey Hart's wearing when they're playing Linton Stockton. He's going to know that. That's how detailed he's going to be going into that game. For him to win at Southwestern in that type of fashion, Southwestern played here on our senior night, and they looked really, really good. Good friend of mine, John Seabold's son, plays for them. I told John, I said, Southwestern's going to be a tough out. And for the Providence to go, for the Providence Pioneers to go on their home court and handle Southwestern the way, I, the way they did, I think they've got to like where they're sitting going into this regional this weekend. That's going to be a different environment. They're going to be in one of the best gyms in Indiana playing and playing against one of the best juniors in the state. So it'll be an opportunity for them to really get a good gauge on where they are. But like I said, you can guarantee that Coach Miller's already got a clip tape made up of Linton Stockton and ready to go. All right, Chad, uh, another local winner, Borden, Doc Nash's team, winning their first sectional championship since the state championship year. Uh, back in uh, 2013, if memory serves correct. Uh, great week for the Braves, Chad. They knock off Rock Creek, the sectional favorite, on Friday night, then have a battle on Saturday against Christian Academy where they trailed for a great part of that game but came back and won. You know, Doc does an outstanding job. Uh, I didn't realize that's the first sectional that he's won since the state championship. So he's gotten a lot of street cred off that state championship, hadn't he, Matt? Yes. Over the years. <laughs> but for him to win that, I mean, anytime you can win a sectional, I think that's outstanding. Doc being able to do it on his home court. And he's somebody that I, I was able to watch that game Friday night against Rock Creek on TV. And, uh, I told my, I told Amy coming in, I said, watch Doc spread them out here. And he, he runs that spread out offense a way to win in March the way he the way he does. I watched him do it against university in the semi state at Seymour the year they won it. Is he puts you on your heels and he makes the guys take great shots, exploits matchups, and does an outstanding coach job coaching. He I think he gets the absolute most out of his kids. And to do it at on his home court with a great atmosphere, man, I'm not sure what Borden holds, but it was packed in there. I mean it almost it sounded like the crowd was coming through the T V at home. So it was it was a great Home court advantage and a great atmosphere for Indiana high school basketball, but a great win for Coach Nash, you know, and I know he's ready to go going into the regional, and he will be a tough out again. All right, Chad Gilbert, my guest, we're talking uh, sectional basketball from over the weekend. Chad, Floyd Central absolutely dominated Jeffersonville on Saturday night. Uh, the Highlanders uh, have had a banner season in the regular season. Uh, then to start sectional play, a really tight game with a good Jennings County team on Tuesday night that I felt like Floyd Central was very fortunate to win in double overtime. And then even on Friday, Floyd Central clearly the better team against New Albany, but the Highlanders struggled to really put away the Bulldogs. I think New Albany at one point, even in the fourth quarter, had it down to five or six points, which is pretty amazing if you think about it. So Floyd really turned it on to another gear Saturday night. And I think now the challenge is, can they keep that gear as they move back into the next round, the regional, and maybe a semi-state, and who knows, maybe a state finals uh, for this Floyd Central club? You know, talking about Floyd, Matt, we knew that James County game was going to be a tough game. But for a team to make a deep run in the tournament, you got to have that scare game. That was Floyd Central's scare game. I look for Floyd Central to make a deep run, win the regional, possibly win the semi-state and be playing and Indianapolis for the state championship. You know, they've got all the tools. Uh, they 
it's not going to be easy. Their regional is always tough. You know, you look for Bloomington North, another matchup. I think Bloomington North may have beaten Floyd the last weekend of the season, weekend or two. I think they did that without Caleb Washington. And uh, it will be a a different Floyd Central team come regional time. And, again, Todd Sturgeon, the style he plays, you know, that's one of those deals. You you hit your shots, you you hit your free throws, you rebound the ball, things that Floyd did very, very well against Jeffersonville and puts them in a spot to win. All right, uh, I don't want to leave out North Harrison. They're a little outside of our coverage area, but the Cougars, their first sectional since 1996. And one of our favorite coaches, Lou LaFay, Chad, found a way to help the uh, North Harrison team to a big victory on Saturday night. That has been a loaded sectional the last few years. North Harrison has been right there with Silver Creek. Uh, but just couldn't get past the Dragons. And, of course, uh, a little different look for Silver Creek this year. They don't make it to the championship game, but North Harrison uh, headed to the regional for the first time in many years. Well, with North Harrison, the stop, we talk about coach. We know what he's, what he's about. You know, one of the top coaches in the state, without question. You hear a lot about he's one of the better coaches in the state. Lou solidified himself as one of the best co- premier coaches in the state of Indiana. Maybe one of the premier coaches in the United States with what he gets out of his kids. You factor that in with a Division One player that he has, in, um, and they're, they will make them extremely hard out because what their their kid can do that's going to UE, he has the ability to break his man down and get a bucket. And that's you, you factor that in with the way that Lou has those guys play defense, with the way they don't turn it over, and you need a go-to bucket, he's got a guy that can get you one. So they're going to be an extremely, extremely tough out in that regional. I look for North Harrison to win that regional and advance to the semi-state. Uh, then once you get past the semi-state, or to, past the regional, it's just one game to get to Indianapolis. So I look for North Harrison to make a deep, deep run as well. All right, Chad, Lou finds a way to get it done. Providence, Tipton, now back in southern Indiana at North Harrison. Uh, he he just got a way about it. Oh, he, he's outstanding. Now everything he does is calculated. He uh, much like Ryan Miller, much like Todd Sturgeon. Those guys are mad scientists. They're ate up. I mean, you talk to those guys, uh, you can tell that they're in. They're they're ate up with it, and it's something that translates to their teams. They have you know Lou has not been able to get over that hump yet. But I like for this one to be his year, you know. And it, and that's kind of funny you say that one, or I say that, get over the hump. He's gotten over plenty of humps. He's won a lot of games. He's won a lot of sexuals. He's won regionals. He's gotten over that hump. It goes back to what we said, you got to be good and you got to be lucky. And when you're someone who's coached at the caliber of Lou does, you know, people expect state champions out of you. And I look for him to be in, a, in the contention this year to win a state championship. All right, Chad Gilbert, my guest. Chad, it's a wonderful time of year. Uh, I'm not so sure that you could make an argument that conference tournament week uh, is as exciting in many ways as the opening round of the NCAA tournaments the following week. Uh, A lot of mid-major teams out there trying to make their dreams come true. And there's one other quick topic I wanted to cover talking about conference tournaments. How about the Bellarmine Knights? Justin Betts, uh, Providence graduate. The Knights can't go to the NCAA tournament, but they're going to host the A-Sun Championship on Tuesday night. I hope a lot of fans of basketball can go out and watch Coach Evanport and the Bellman Knights because the way they play is basketball at its purest. A lot of fun, well-coached team, a lot of good players. That's going to wrap things up for this Monday program. Back with you Tuesday at 11 a.m. This is the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison.